podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans and uh, with me on this week's Stop Hammer Times, it's Gordon Thrower from KUMB. Good evening. Gordon, you were at the Everton game and you're going to talk about that. <laughs> and yeah, I, thanks, and that's why you're tied to that chair. <laughs> that is... Thanks, you'll talk about that bloody game if it's the last thing you do, Gordon. It and I'm going well to make be. you. That's right. <laughs> Waterboard him, Igor. And also joining us, uh, it is the author of uh, the top flight blog, The H List, possibly the best blog on West Ham United in existence, though on slight hiatus at the moment. It is, of course, James Cairns. Hello, Phil. How Hello, James. Everything all right? Uh, good, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I'm not writing the H list at the moment. Not at the moment. No, no, no but no. post-Christmas, maybe. No, yes. Let's, uh, you heard it here first. Post-Christmas, he <laughs> post- will write one on Boxing Day. Post-Christmas, when Gordon stops weeping about the Everton game, <laughs> yeah, I will start writing about it. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that might not be for a long time. <laughs> yes, that lot... might not be this Christmas. He's weeping now. There's a box of Kleenex next to him that's half used already. Since, mm. I, since I said his name. Yeah. Also coming up on this podcast, we hope, we hope to be talking to uh, Jack Collison on the telephone. Jack, we believe, is in Atlanta, Georgia, but uh, he could be anywhere and he's uh, not on the line at the moment, so <laughs> that might not happen. Anyway, uh, so first in, let's dive straight in with the Everton game. Uh, we had an international break to, uh, to just completely forget how to play football, uh, just to completely relax and lose all memory of uh, teamwork and uh, individual flair and the playing of the game football. And, uh, and I think that really did help that to happen, the international break. Yep. Um, what can I say about it? Um, it, it, it was, it was 12.30, okay, 12.30 kickoff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was out the night before. Didn't have anything to drink. I was very good and all that. But, you know, it was um, yeah, it, it was very early. 12.30 always seems very early yes, to play does. a game of football and, and all that. But there again, I'm not there to play football. I'm there just to watch it. But they look like they've been out the night yeah. before as well, sort of thing. It was very... Um, oh, they look tired from the off. I always felt that on Boxing Day fixtures, yeah. Trevor Sinclair always looked hungover. <laughs> and I'm not sure why I'm, I'm just picking on Trevor Sinclair in this way. But he quite often, it felt like, you know, for three years in a row, he had slightly bad games on Boxing Day. Yeah, I think for the benefit of, uh, in case Trevor Sinclair's lawyers, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, we, we don't mean that he was no. to say that. Trevor Sinclair is one of my favourite West Ham yeah, players, but, I should yeah, add. But, uh, but no, it just, they, they never got started and... They started pulling, went into reverse almost. It, it just there was just nothing there, in the, particularly in the first half. I, I hesitate to use the word improve. I, I suppose the phrase I'd use is it was slightly less worse in the second, but not much. Mm. Um, I, there was just absolutely no redeeming qualities about that. I'm, no. I'm, I'm struggling, and you know, the whisk is sounding completely negative. I'm struggling to find any positives out there. We had a couple of chances in the second half. Um, if we got anything out of that game, um, it, you know, it, it, it would have been in keeping with um, the local stereotype of nicking things. I think, yeah. You know? um, it, 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 what can I say? Um, James, yeah. you watched it on TV. I did. If I was going to make a couple of observations, one, I would say it's the worst passing performance I can really? remember really? from the West Ham. So absolutely abysmal. And you know, you look at the type of players that we have and I actually my other observation would be that we play too many attacking midfielders I think it's very difficult to have Fornells, Anderson and Lanzini in this particular fixture against a team whose manager was on the ropes 
they were always going to come out, I thought, all guns blazing, big vociferous crowd, you know, mm. penning mm. us back. And I really felt, after about 20 minutes, that Snodgrass should have been playing because we just needed that little bit of experience and steel in the middle just to get hold of the ball and, and keep it for a bit. Yeah. But we just, it was, it was, I, I lost count of the amount of times that we misplaced very straightforward passes yeah, so that, to, to yeah. allow them to come onto us. And we just, that was the primary reason we could never get out. They worked really hard, Everton. Yes, yeah. It was, it yeah. was almost like a psychotic yes. <laughs> level of work. But actually, yeah. the, the, the flip side to that is that teams can't maintain that. So yeah. you have to find a way to weather it and stay in the game. And in a weird sort of way, we did. Because mm. as Gordon said, actually, I mean, you know, 10 minutes to go, it was 1-0 and we were sort of beginning to show signs of waking up. But yeah. um, I felt that he got his selection wrong. I felt we should have been sturdier. And yeah. actually, if you have three players who aren't doing that much defensively, but also aren't keeping hold of the ball... No, no, absolutely. What happens is the, you give up tons of shots, which yeah, is what the passing we game, the passing game is what that team selection should be good at. And if they're not doing that, you need to sort of do something else. Yes, yeah. I mean, I noticed... Um, you know, with the benefit of uh, just getting a distilled six minutes of the game or something for a match of the day too, um, the move that led to Everton's second um, goal, the one really close to the end, almost in, I think it was, it was stoppage time. time. It was, it was it stoppage time. Um, Rice, uh, twice, sort of, uh, he, he misjudged the flight of the ball or the bounce of the ball and, and uh, was slightly on the back foot, then had a chance to tackle and just swung a leg out. He looked kind of knackered or just off the pace at the end of the game uh, yeah. and I wondered whether that was sort of you know I mean you know he, he was ill he had a kind of mm. virus didn't he which put him out of the Bulgaria game yeah I probably wouldn't single him out as no. being sort of any <laughs> less worse or more worse than anybody else <laughs> yeah. you know he was just that it was it was poor from start yeah. to finish yeah. and really apart from Roberto who made some good saves and Sort of Diop and Ogbonna did some, yeah. um, you know, Tommy's on grenade style defending. Mm, mm. There was very little else to, to uh, recommend that performance. I, I, as I say, I, I do a little, um, I, I, I tweet a half time report mm-hmm. um, for matches I attend, and uh, I think I said something like, uh, um, yeah, need to improve. I think stringing two passes together. Yeah. Would, would be a start or something like that. Words to that effect. And yes, uh, yeah, we we couldn't we couldn't string two passes together. And as, as, as my learned friend on my left here said, it, it was it was a case of even when there were easy balls on, you think, well, just play it through, and it was a foot or two feet to the one side, two yeah. feet to the other, yeah. and you just thought. It was easier to make the proper pass yes, than it was yes. not to. In that a case. very talented uh, Harry Redknapp team would often like play fantastically at home and then just bewilderingly go and get beat 6-0 away from home. An Allardyce team uh, would quite often go and participate in a football game so that you didn't actually think that they were the most wretchedly incompetent football team you'd ever seen. But it was like they were the team in fluorescent vests in a kind of training game. Yeah. They go and participate mm. in They the make up the opposition for the, for, for the opposition's training. Yeah, I think that's it's right. interesting you uh, mentioned and I, won- and I wonder what this, you know, how this kind of fitted into that. In a, it sounds like, it sounds towards the kind of red nap era of I, things. I think Pellegrini's been veering a bit that way for a while. And actually, if I was going to take either end of the spectrum, I'd, yes. I'd have the red nap one. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't even really the attacking flair on Saturday. But it, I, as I was watching the game, actually, I was recalling a, an episode of this that we did probably a year ago. And Jim made the point that he thought Pellegrini 
was uncompromising in the way that he yes. approached games, yes. which was, you know, literally as it sounds, he was never going to compromise his principles no matter who we were playing. And I think, to be fair, I think we've seen that. And it's been borne out by generally pretty bad form away from home because mm. when you play lots of attacking midfielders, sometimes you get a willing victim like Watford, but sometimes you get teams like Everton who just work harder than you and beat you. And that's yeah. been a bit more common than the other. And I do wonder if there comes a time when he starts to say, actually, away from home, we've got to shore it up a bit. Yeah. And even just get a foothold in the game and then unleash those attacking players in the last third. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. And actually, you, you could see bringing <clears throat> Anderson on or... He did bring Yarmolenko on, didn't he? But he, yes. he didn't really get the ball. I a, wonder if that's the way forward for him. It was a funny... I mean, Yarmolenko has been playing very well lately and it was sort of strange that he didn't start him, I thought. Uh, I wonder whether... Because there was an injury to um, Felipe Anderson, wasn't there? And uh, that caused the change, wasn't it? Or was it, well, well, or was I, it just tactical? To be, to be honest, I... I I wasn't aware there was an injury. Um, oh, right. I mean, I, you know, I watched the game. And since then, I've been sort of obviously travelling back and various other stuff. So I haven't really sort of gone into the sort of post-mortem. Um, yes, of I got the feeling that, that but, Anderson sort of felt a twinge I, I or thought something. At, I thought at the time it was tactical. And if Anderson felt a twinge, then maybe that might be an, it might have been a, a, a diplomatic twinge on his part. He wasn't, mm. fan, he, he wasn't at the races. Um, none of them were. But... Um, and Yarmolenko is away for Ukraine, wasn't he, for the international yeah. yes. break? So probably oh, more travelling, yeah, quite yeah, possibly, yeah. than others. I mean, that was the official reason. It was, you know, we're, you know sort of precautionary, let's give him a, a break because, as I say, he's been travelling. Um, you know, the, the, I think the first chance we had, which was the one that Fornells screwed wide, mm. was Yarmolenko's doing. Yeah, so well, he helps you keep the ball because he runs with it for yeah, a bit. He yeah. quite likes to run with the ball, doesn't he? Even though he's, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have much pace, he he, he likes to he, he likes to you know find the right position to either deliver a pass or have a shot. It's um, pretty direct, mm, which I mm. think is his most uh, redeeming feature as a player. Yeah. I think that's the you know he scores goals. He's, he's one of those players. I was talking to a friend about him the other day, saying he's one of those guys who only in inverted commas scores goals mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. as though that's somehow a bad thing but you know I, I, I think as an all round player I, I would have said Antonio was the, the missing link on Saturday we needed a bit of that physical yeah. aggressive just take it to them pin them back a little bit obviously he's injured but we were yeah. we were missing that quite a bit and we just looked a bit lightweight for now as I thought was a really good signing exactly the kind of profile of player I would have signed I wanted them to sign but he's obviously taking a while to settle. I reckon he'll yeah. still come good. He looks like quite a good player. Yes, but, I think so too. But he was yeah. not, you know, that game sort of passed him by. And Lanzini's coming back from a very serious injury. Heaney's going to need some time, I think, to get back in it. And Anderson's always been a bit in and out, isn't yeah. he? I, I yeah, yeah. observe of him. So, yeah, I, yeah as, <laughs> I don't know how much more we want to dig over the body. For, what, I thought, what I thought in the early games of the season was that Lanzini set a really good tempo. He was really running about like a terrier, you know, for the games. Uh, what, what happened in the Palace game was that he wasn't so much mm. like that. And in fact, um, it was often Noble that came forward and pressed I, the, the keeper you, you and tried to words, close things you down. You took the words right out of my mouth. The number of times that, that Noble was the furthest forward and, yeah. and Lanzini was... Yeah, you know, ten twenty yards behind him. Hang on, yes. with this picture, <laughs> Lanzini sort of needs a, a or, or wants a kind of free role, doesn't he? He'll yeah. sometimes he'll he'll sometimes be very deep. He'll he, he'll be all over the shop. He'll play out wide. I mean, we were talking about Fornells coming good and all that, but um, and that that sort of number ten role. Um, it, I mean, 
is the one that, that, he, that he's been accustomed to um, playing yeah, for yeah, yeah. The, the, the Spain age groups and back in um, you know, back on the continent. Where so we're kind of playing him a little bit out of position. And it's difficult, so, isn't it? Because in a way, that's Wilshire's. Yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of Wilshire's role. Uh, as well. uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because I, I I think Fornells was a good signing, but by which I mean the profile of his signing was mm-hmm. quite good. I'm not convinced we needed him. <laughs> I think what we actually no. needed was a central midfielder who could play on both sides of the ball. Yeah, yeah. And, but I felt we've needed that for quite a long time, and we continue to rely on Noble, which is fine, but he is getting older, and I just th- yeah, I think absolutely. it's unreasonable to yeah. continually ask him to do that. Rice is clearly improving, but you need a player in there. You know, the one that we were linked with a couple of years ago, John McGinn, who I looked mm, at mm. and I thought on on Saturday, a player like him with his energy and ability to carry the ball and affect the game on both sides of the ball would have been pretty useful, which is why I thought, you know, Snodgrass would be our sort of um, little version of him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. And I thought, again, you know, to the risk of repeating myself, I thought we missed just that simplicity on the ball on Saturday. That was really missing. Yeah, yeah. Someone to just sort of put their foot on it and just shuffle take, it. To... Take this thing out of the game. Yeah, yeah. You know, the crowd was up, they were up. And as I say, like they were kind of fanatic in their work rate. And you yeah. just sometimes need a bit of experience to keep hold of the ball and, as I say, kind of draw their venom. And then actually, even if you go one goal behind, you stay in the game, you keep pressing, yeah. you keep building, you get the crowd edgy. It's what teams used to do to us at up yeah, to Park all the time. And, you know, and then you, you get back into the game and then you unleash those better... Yeah, players yeah, further yeah. up the pitch and if, if we just sort of missed all of that well Palace's away performance against us was a sort of a classic away Absolutely. performance wasn't it yeah, I yeah. mean you know we we appear to do what we don't normally do which is get off to a good start but actually you realise that Palace were almost letting us do that by just seeing what we did mm-hmm. and just putting all of their men behind the ball for the first 10 minutes of the game and just see what we tried to do and then slowly started to squeeze the game up and it just felt like they had more players than us and we couldn't find it was difficult for us to find a way through yeah, it was, was Muhammad Ali's rope a dope. It was a bit, wasn't it? I mean, you <laughs> really? know, it took a quite a skillful goal to yeah. to yeah. you know breach Palace's defences, and it yeah. was a bloody good yeah, it was goal. A really, goal. really yeah. good goal. But it almost took that. It took that to do it. You know, mm. we had shots inside the area that they had just Palace legs appeared in yeah. front of them. You know, it's just trying to sort of shoot through a forest of legs half the time because they got so many people behind the ball. But that was, you know, that was organised, that was an organised away performance. Like Palace, when they didn't have the ball, reorganised themselves into this position where they almost had man-to-man marking for the 10 outfield players. And it was difficult to break that down. And, you know... Yes. And, and it, that's why it was only set pieces, really, that un- undid us. Yeah. It's like, you know. And I think the risk of being cliché, the, the problem we're facing is... You know, everyone's kind of got this idea that maybe we can push for a top six place this year. I think, you know, I've always felt tenth would be a pretty yeah, reasonable me too. Um, finish. But if you're going to lose to teams like Palace and Everton, who are the ones in and around you, that's what prevents you from going up the table. Everyone will get the same sort of. They'll have the same difficulties you would imagine with the top six, albeit Man United and um, Chelsea look a bit weird, and, and Spurs yeah. are, you know, in a in a sort of a, a strange spiral, but. You'd still imagine that those top six teams will probably finish in the top six and maybe yeah, less to have a go at them. And actually, what we've got to do is find a way to beat these teams around us. And, you know, Wolves, Southampton, Leicester, yeah. they're the ones that we've got to get points off. And actually, if you look at our fixtures that we've played so far, it's been quite genteel. Yes, it has. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Game. And it's a bit disappointing that we haven't picked up a couple more points. Let's carry on after this message. Think you know everything about Frank Sinatra? Then think again. 
Award-winning Richard Shelton brings Frank Sinatra's story and his iconic songs to life in a new show at Wilton's Music Hall in London, October the 22nd through to November the 2nd. Go to wiltons.org.uk and grab your tickets now. Shut down in May. Welcome back. Uh, joining us on the line now from uh, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, I believe, uh, though he'll confirm this, is uh, uh, a much, much loved uh, West Ham player that had uh, a tragically short uh, career that we would have liked to have seen a great deal more of. It is, of course, Jack Collison. Hello, Jack. Hello. Are you, in, in fact, in Atlanta? Yes, I am. So currently in America. So yeah. How long have you been there? Uh, so about two months now. Um, opportunity come up to come out here and obviously something completely different something I'm, I'm really not used to but I thought it was a good chance to to come and try something new and obviously bring the family out here and give them a really good lifestyle but what you are used to is uh sort of coaching youth teams the Peterborough under 21s the under 18s the West Ham under 16s uh so it is obviously a, a sort of a job that uh you you've got a bit of previous with yeah, I think the uh, as you mentioned, um, unfortunately for me, the career was cut quite short playing wise. Um, but obviously, in that short time, I, I managed to experience quite a lot from injuries, from winning promotion, from yeah, getting relegated, playing under different managers. So all them experiences um, certainly have, have given me a wide outlook on football and. Obviously, to have something taken away from me is still my passion, and now it's the coach. And that gets me out of bed in the morning. And Atlanta, what are they called? Atlanta United. They're the current MLS. Yeah, Atlanta United. They're the they're the champions, yeah. aren't they? Do they play? Yeah, so is it a league or do they? What do they do? They've got a sort of league and then they play a tournament or something, don't they? Yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's quite hard to get to get your head round. But um, yeah, they're the champions from last year, and obviously this year they've they've just gone into the playoffs now. So. I think it's the top six or top eight teams from each each side of the league uh, qualify for the playoffs. And Atlanta won their um, quarterfinal on the weekend, so they play in the semi-final on Thursday. So they've got a tough game against Philly Union. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting to see. Obviously, they work so hard all season, yeah. 30-plus games, and then all of a sudden it could be over in one game because it goes straight to knockout. Straight to a knockout thing. So the team that wins... So do they, they play each other in a league? So presumably one team does end up with more points, but they, they're not the winner. They go into a tournament or something. Yeah, it's still going to right. a tournament. So the, the top team will be seeded and get a bye through the quarters. Oh, then, I see. Right, right. Um, you, you're fighting to get home... Home, uh, home advantage so Atlanta done well and managed to secure home advantage for the quarters and for the semi-finals so another home game on Thursday night and yes it's, it's certainly exciting to watch and as you can imagine the pressure's ramped up but one thing I will say the uh the Mercedes-Benz Stadium at Atlanta is is some stadium is it? it's very impressive how big is it Oh, it's massive. I mean, my first, my first game, there's 72,000 there. So uh, Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, wow. they play the, the NFL there and they do lots of events. But, um, yeah, they've certainly got a bit of a crazy fan base. And wow, great. It, it's great to be out here and, and be a part of that now. And, and what's Atlanta like? Completely different. Yeah, it's, it's good fun. Have you seen <laughs> that TV show, Atlanta? 
Did the uh, housewives of Atlanta? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no, not that yeah. one. Um, no, the wife, the wife has, but no, we, we, we took a took a little bit of a risk. I mean, I I come out here and visited um, last year, and obviously to to see what they've got in place at the football club is is incredible. They've got a wonderful training facility. The the first team for stadiums amazing. Obviously, to go to the MLS champs, it was a a great opportunity and. I mean, the city's good fun. I've been yeah. very impressed with the standard of football, especially within the young boys. They want to learn. They want to get better. They want to improve. So for me, it's a great place to be at the moment. Somewhere I'm I'm still trying to learn and trying to improve and trying to get better myself because long-term, it's certainly the route that I want to be going down. Now, you you were a product of uh, the Tony Carr uh, Football Academy, if you like. And, uh, you know... I think uh, we sort of remember hearing about kind of the, 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 out of the, your generation, it was probably Tonkins, you and Sears that we were hearing about, you know, a lot. And we were kind of waiting, waiting to see what you guys were like. And certainly in your case, um, you played a couple of times under Kerbyshire, didn't you? But it was really that Zola season. And in fact, you know, uh, we all remember that goal against Everton. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and we thought, oh, yeah, no, this guy can play. And you instantly looked comfortable playing in the top flight of English football, whereas certain other youth products don't you know they don't necessarily it takes them a while to fit in and sometimes they they sort of they never particularly settle as but you know in the top couple of flights um do you do you think you've taken anything from your from your time with tony carr into kind of uh uh youth team coaching because he he you know he's almost the byword for youth team coaching isn't he I mean, um, no, I, I mean, certainly for me, at 16 years old, I, I Cambridge closed down their youth system and I had a couple of options to, to go to a few clubs. But for me, I wanted to go work with Tony Carr because the history, what he brought through yeah. and, and obviously what West Ham were like as a club. And then during my couple of years under Tony, it certainly was an eye-opener. I mean, his experience on the field was incredible. Um, he was certainly hard to, to get a compliment out of. I mean, I was his captain as a... As a 17-year-old, and I only think I got a couple of compliments out of, but it made you want to work hard, it made you want to improve, and it made you want to get better, and certainly that grounding, and I would say just the general day-to-day habits that I picked up off Tony, just the, the real basic things in terms of your awareness, checking your shoulders, knowing what's around you as a midfielder, and just that drive and desire to do well day in, day out, certainly come from Tony and was embedded in a lot of the youngsters who have obviously come through before and, and come through since then. So certainly now as a young coach, I, I take lots of stuff from coach Tony, bits from Kevin Keane, bits from Zola, bits from Sam Allardyce and just try and mould it into my own way. But yeah, what a great start into the world of football under Tony Carr. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are you still, are you still doing the soccer school? Are you still doing Yeah, that? yeah. yeah. Yeah, so the, the soccer school, I mean, especially when I, I first finished playing, um, obviously I wanted to stay in and around football, but um, I had a bit of time away from it and then I had the opportunity to set up the soccer school. And yeah. certainly for me at the time, it was just trying to give grassroots football a bit of a taste of that elite level. Um, I see lots of soccer schools set up here and there and they're, they're a bit, well, I don't think they're of a great standard. So I no. saw a bit of a gap and set up the soccer school the Jack Collison soccer school and I mean we're four years in now and it's still growing and getting bigger we've got a wonderful futsal program um, which is is busy week in week out what's that what's futsal uh, so indoor football um, oh, right, we've, right. we've 
go right from eight-year-olds all the way up to to adults with the futsal stuff. And probably the main thing is which which we started with is the the three-day camps where the kids come from ten till three uh, in the morning and they they do proper sessions in the afternoon. They'll play games and competitions and that, but. We try to give them a taste of that elite level coaching as well, even at grassroots. And I mean, some of our coaches are fantastic and really experienced in terms of work with young kids. And I think the big thing is that they they come away with a good experience and a big smile on their face. And yeah, yeah. The the one that the one that I'm really pleased about. We've just set up a brand new one which starts tomorrow at the Bobby Moore Academy, um, which obviously ties in fantastically well with West Ham. You yeah, can see brilliant. the stadium in the background. The facilities are incredible, and although I'm the other side of the world, I've managed to get a favour in from my good mate Colton Cole, the legend himself. Brilliant, go down there and <laughs> brilliant visit the kids, and hopefully inspire one and two of them. Because I mean, we've had kids come out and go to academies at, at Peterborough and at MK Dons, which has been great. So the next dream now is to get one of them in at West Ham. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, so um, yeah, so. Uh, um, it's it's the JC Soccer School, isn't it? What's the website? What's the web address? Yeah, so quite simple. Uh, JackCollisonSoccerSchool.com. Um, obviously, we're on Twitter as well, uh, Instagram. Keeping it real with the kids. <laughs> so Brilliant. There's, uh, there's lots of content on there as well. But no, it's it's something I'm very proud of. And even though I'm on the other side of the world, I'm still very hands on and yeah, yeah. Play play a big part in the day to day dealings. And and obviously, as I said, getting this this new one set up at the Bobby Moore Academy is a a real proud moment in our our four year experience so far. Yeah, fantastic. Jack, it's golden here. I've got a bit curious on the um, American side of things um you know i'm, I'm sort of i'm getting on a bit and um, i remember in the <laughs> 70s when um you, you, you had the north american soccer league which was kind of a place where pros went to sort of spend the summer and earn a few bob and uh, before they retired um now obviously major league soccer is, is is an attempt to do things a bit more seriously and um your forte if you like is is the, the coaching at the youth level um is that sort of um, something that's been taken a lot more seriously now, sort of bringing players in from, from the youth um, system? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, um, Atlanta, the, the infrastructure they've got in place is incredible. They've got a thriving academy. They've got a second team, like a reserve team, who play in the USL, which is a, a men's league. And obviously the pathway to the first team is is very real and, and really there for the for the young lads if they're good enough they they get a chance and a big thing is is all the teams are on the same site they share the same training facility so it's, it's great the young kids get to see the likes of Frank DeBoer every day the way he works and obviously for me as a young coach just to see someone of that quality and and that experience and the career that he's had it's great to be able to have a look out on the pitch and see him working with a, a real good quality of first team players. Yeah. And you've been out there a couple of months at the moment, and obviously um, you're bringing um, your experience of the youth, the youth systems and training out to there. Um, have you seen anything that you'd, 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 you'd like to see imported back here um, from, from their systems, if you like? I think I think the uh, the real big difference I've seen at youth level over here is probably the the competitive nature of it I mean it seems like there's a lot more competition um, a lot more opportunity where the kids have to 
play under pressure in terms of tournaments. The league games are really well documented in terms of results. Whereas in England, until you get to under 18 level, a lot of the stuff sort of hidden and very hush hush. And I think it's been a, a real eye opener for me to see, even from under 13s, 14s over in America, that when they do go to these big tournaments, they go to win. And I think at times that is is something that's potentially missing within um, the academy program. I mean, we were fortunate at West Ham that we managed to go to lots of tournaments abroad to try and give the players that that, that competitive taste. So over here, the competitive side's been great um, and obviously still trying to develop the players and, and improve them at the same time. So it's been a real good mix for me so far. Jack, just dragging you back to West Ham for a minute. Um, you, you've been involved with, with our academy until quite recently. How optimistic should we be about the next crop of youngsters coming through? Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this this crop. I mean, I was fortunate enough to work with some of the younger ones, so the likes of Amadou Diallo, Jamal Baptiste, Dan Chesters. These are real, real sort of young lads, 16, 17, who you probably start to be hearing more and more of. But you look at a slightly older age group, I mean, the 23s, they've been fantastic. And the last time I checked, they were 2-0 up tonight. <laughs> so I'm, 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 hope, I'm hoping they won that game. But the likes of Nathan Holland, Joe Powell, I mean, Scully's been on fire to, to see these kids. Um, sort of last year was tough for them in terms of results, but you could see the work rate and effort they were putting in on the training ground. And I mean, I was fortunate to work with them myself. And, Certainly the the big name who stands out for me is Nathan Holland. I, I know he got a taste of it in the cup and it was a disappointing <laughs> result and performance, but he's certainly one that the fans will love if if he gets more opportunities this season, if he keeps working hard, he's he's exciting, he goes past players, he can attack, he can score goals and he's he's certainly a player that the West Ham fans will enjoy watching and I know for him, he's, he's probably a little bit frustrated at the moment. He's, he's at that difficult stage where he's played 23s football for a few seasons. I mean, he's capped at most levels for the England age groups. He, he's probably ready where he needs regular first-team football. So I'm sure he's going to have a decision to make come January, whether he goes out on loan or wherever he gets his head down and tries to fight for a place in the first team. What do you think is the right age? or What's the, the critical age that a player needs to make a decision? Because that, that point you just made there, I, I observe that quite a lot with West Ham youngsters. They get to that point. So I'm thinking of people like maybe Jordan Spence, who everyone thought was going to yeah. be a really, really good player. And then it's, you it's, never quite made yeah, it. It's so difficult to say. I mean, it, everyone's pathway is different. I mean, from the, the crop of players I played with, I mean, myself I was miles away from it I was desperate for a low move and was meant to go out to Peterborough United um, and the day I'm meant to be going Nobes picks up an injury um, yeah. so I'm, I'm devastated I missed my chance to go out on loan but then a couple of days later I, I play at Old Trafford for Zola um, <laughs> yeah. do well and then he ends up putting me in the team after that where well, you, you see played a lot players, that, that um was it 8-9? Was the season 8-9? Yeah, yeah. You yeah, played, yeah. Um, because in fact the injury happened in that season, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, in my yeah. head I had it sort of in that sort of second season, the sort of, the slightly bad Zola season, the, the, the difficult 17th <laughs> place finish. But it actually <laughs> happened in the good Zola season. The, the, yeah, the, the um, initial be- one. Because he sort of, he took over surprisingly early, didn't he? It's like, he started right at the beginning of September. Basically, um, Kirbishley was only there for a month. So, 
he uh, Zola starts quite early September uh, 2008, and he picks you pretty quickly. And then you're six weeks out towards the end of the season because of the because of the knee. So, yeah. and, but outside of that, you played like you know twenty something games, didn't you? You played. You were pretty yeah. much ever present. I mean, yeah, that was probably that was probably where I. <laughs> <clears throat> I mean, the disappointing thing for me was. After that initial injury that season, I never ever felt quite right again. Man alive, so, um, it was really, you know. I mean, I, I got 20, 25 games, I was flying. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. Team were, we were playing some fantastic football, top half of the table. We just, we just fell off it towards the end of the season where we should have really probably pushed on. But in terms of enjoying your football and, and playing with a real style and it real was, energy and swagger. It, it was fun to play and I'm sure it was fun to watch. And it was, it said, was. That, that initial, that injury was, was probably the start of my downfall. Oh, man alive. I mean, I, I tried to patch it up and I only had six weeks out when I probably should have had a longer period on yeah. the sidelines. And then the next season was the, the real start of the the major issues. I think I got another 20, 25 games, but it got to a point in that second season where I was literally training on a Friday, playing on a Saturday and yeah. it was just impossible to manage. And obviously the team was struggling as well. So I was trying to dig in and do my bit for the team, but um, it just wasn't to be. What is it? It's funny because we had, um, uh, we had uh, uh, James Collins here um, in the studio the last podcast we did. And it's really funny because he has his little uh, respite from West Ham up at Aston Villa in that period um, when we you know, had our bad season and then went down and then we're in the championship. Um, so w- w- what do, you th- do you have any perspective on what sort of went wrong towards the end of the Zola days at all? I mean, obviously he had to sell some players, didn't he? I mean, it's tough to say. We we got to a point where we just couldn't score goals, and we were trying to get him to come out of retirement. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. We, we were struggling to score. We we felt if if they would have stuck with him, with him, we would have got it right because the boys enjoyed training. Um, they obviously had massive respect for him, and certainly for Steve Clark as well. It's just it was hard to put your finger on it. It was fragile. We were fragile, weren't we? Uh, and and yeah. it seemed that like the 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 Avram Grant regime without wishing to turn him into some kind of monstrous villain but just didn't seem to sort of address some of the problems you could see you could almost see the same sort of fragility that we'd had with zola not somehow addressed or fixed under under grant you know um yeah it it, it was strange it it just it it was the opposite of the new broom in a way just things carried on with whatever problems there were and we were really starting to think god there's something you know toxic how it's an overused word but something sort of toxic is infecting the sort of dressing room at the club we've we're so fragile when a game goes against us we were just you know folding like a pack of cards yeah, it was it was a tough one under Avram because obviously, I mean, for me personally, I had the large operation. I missed forty months of football, yeah, yeah. so my my one and only game under Avram was the day we got relegated at Wigan and he got sacked. So, <laughs> oh so, so yeah, but he was certainly Dave Whelan let him have that room, didn't he? <laughs> he let them have that room to do to I do know, it. It's yeah, terrible, isn't it? 
that room was hosed I mean, out just it was, just months it was after. Really tough to watch. I was like a fan that year, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So tough to watch on. It was hard, wasn't it? I could see the boys working hard on the training ground, and it come to a match day, and we'd struggle. And then we had the odd game where you think, "Oh, we might turn it around." But when we went to Everton, and we made the comeback, and well, uh, Denver Bar, you know, he he yeah. he made a big difference there. So, there, there. That couple of games, there was the Liverpool, uh, the Zavon Hines masterclass, wasn't there? Yeah, uh, yeah and yeah, great game, didn't he? And I think we won the next one as well. Stoke, wasn't it? And I remember saying to to a mate, "Now nah, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right." Yeah, because uh, the football was good too. The football was good. Uh, yeah, well, it was a, it was a talented squad. You go yeah. right through that squad. Even uh, I think we even got Robbie Keane on loan towards the back end of the season, That's and he, right. even yeah. he was struggling to score. One of the best finishers to probably play in the Premier League. Yeah, and yeah. It just it just seemed whatever happened just wouldn't wouldn't seem to come off, but. Yeah, it was a it was a certainly a difficult period. I it's mean, hard, wasn't it? Dealing dealing with the injury and having to to watch the boys sort of struggle and and be helpless in in terms of trying to help them for a tough time. And as I said, my my first game back after fourteen months, we got relegated. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Um, I didn't realise that. Mixed emotion. Yeah, it was mixed yeah, emotions for me that day. What a that pisser! Was, <laughs> but, but even in that game, I mean, we started so well, we took the lead and. Then, Bloody Connor Salmon come on and change the game, didn't yeah, he? That's <laughs> right. That's right. Oh God. But, um, oh, no, God. yeah. I mean, they're all, all great experiences. Yeah. I think if you ask a large portion of West Ham fans, probably that season in, in the Championship, although the football wasn't always mouth-watering, it was. No. It was good fun, winning more games than you lose, and obviously the day out at Wembley. Yeah, yeah. Was, Absolutely. Was Day that a lot of people yeah, you played quite a lot of games in that season, didn't you? You played quite a lot of yeah. games in that championship yeah, season. Yeah, managed to drag a few out. I got over 30 that year. So I mean, it was, it, it, it was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, obviously it was the championship and I think we were, you know, we we did have a little bit more quality than, than a lot of the teams. But, but it was a different managerial style. You could see that... that Allardyce basically would just wring the life out of the opponents and then <laughs> score a goal or two at the end. You know, there were, there, were, there were games where his style was to basically almost run the clock down and then sort of score late on. It's just like try and wring the life out of the other team. And it was an interesting way to play. Yeah, I mean, one thing I will take from Sam Allardyce was his attention to detail. I mean, every single player who went out the pitch knew what exactly was what was expected of them. Whatever position you played, you knew what the opposition would be about. You knew who you were playing against. And you knew if you stuck to the game plan, whether you liked it or not, nine times out of ten, you'd be successful. And yeah. if you did well under Sam, he kept you in the team. And if you didn't do well, he'd be quite open and honest about it and, and tell you exactly how it was. So I think as a player, a lot of people appreciated his, his style of approach in terms of that because you knew exactly where you stood with him at any time throughout the season. Yeah, yeah. You very rarely hear players say bad things about playing for Allardyce. Is an observation I would make. Right, Fa- right. Fans often do. Yeah, yeah. But, but um, <laughs> yeah. As, as, as Jack said, he seems to be incredibly organised, and that's yeah. possibly underrated by fans. I mean, obviously, I, I attend attended um, numerous press post match press conferences, and um, the, you, you mentioned the attention to detail, and you, you'd come in and somebody would raise a point, and he would have the statistics. Oh yeah, um, right, right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we actually had seventeen 
efforts on goal when there were you know 28 passing moves and you know he'd obviously been on the laptop three minutes before coming into the press conference room but but it was it's it's difficult to argue against that when somebody somebody starts quoting the stats yeah Um, but But it's sort of great that you you know you um because basically you were you were there with Kerbishley, Zola, Grant and uh Allardyce so uh, but especially Grant um Zola and Allardyce just uh learning from both of those guys who come from a completely kind of sort of you know different perspective you oh, must have yeah. picked up a lot of stuff from both of those guys that's sort of you know useful yeah oh 100% and it's them little little nuggets that I'll, I'll take with me and try and input now so Allardyce's attention to detail Zola's care with the players day in day out and he's he's wanting them to improve as individuals which was which was great and and obviously for me I was fortunate enough to to be in some good Welsh teams as well so the likes of Chris Coleman and Gary yeah. Street are also guys that yeah absolutely I've, I've taken bits off and as I said hopefully I'm in a good position now to be able to pass on <laughs> Some of this wisdom, obviously, I'm still young. I'm still learning myself, but um, in a short space of time, I've I've spent a lot of time out on the grass, and I'm trying to learn my trade and, and do it there. Do you do you do what Zola did and like just do something really flashy that makes them all feel bad? <laughs> I still try and join in every now and then. I can hardly move now. I can hardly walk <laughs> some days when I get out of bed. So they're running rings around me nine times out of ten. <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's good fun. I'm I'm still a big kicker at heart, and it's certainly out on the grass where I enjoy being. And I just love that football environment. So I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm still lucky enough to be in and around it. Yeah, that's um, great. See, how old are you now, Jack? I'm 31. I 31. feel like I've been around forever. Yeah. <laughs> see, see that, that makes that makes people like me feel a lot old because you know people remember you as a youngster sort of coming through the. Yeah. You have that perception when when people come through the youth system of them being. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How old's Mark Noble now? And I still think of him oh, as yeah, being a yeah, youngster. Yeah, it's, too, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. incredible. Yeah, he's yeah, getting uh, younger and younger. No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it just makes me feel very very old. <laughs> Of that, that, and travelling up and back to Everton. What do you think about uh, what do you think about West Ham at the moment? What's what you know the way we're we're going at the moment? Yeah, we're so we're so up and down, aren't we? I mm. think there was a lot of excitement um, start the season. Some some really pleasing performances. I mean, especially I think Yarmolenko's been outstanding this year. Yeah, it looks like we finally got him fit and firing. Obviously, Anderson's an exciting player. Lanzini, Dex on top form, and then just seems the last couple of games it's, it's just been a little bit flat I mean obviously out here with a time difference I haven't had a chance to, to watch an awful lot but obviously I watch the highlights and a large proportion of my friends are still West Ham fans so they're still ranting and raving to me about certain <laughs> things but um, it's certainly a talented squad um, and there's certainly within the ranks a real belief in, in Pellegrini and his ideas and what he's trying to get across so you just like to think we can go on a bit of a run. I mean, we've got some really good games coming up. The next three are, are very winnable, obviously, before we play Tottenham. So it'd be nice to, to get a bit of a run, a bit of momentum going, and, and obviously going to the Spurs game full of confidence. And always nice to turn them over, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd, I'd file Tottenham under the eminently winnable part <laughs> of yeah, the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> they have a new manager in mind anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, um, no, no. I think the, the pleasing thing about Pellegrini, he certainly wants to to play attacking football. And, and the big thing that I've I've taken from Pellegrini, one from from speaking to him and and hearing him talk, and the way he talks about football, is his 
desire and willingness to try and attack the big teams. I, I like the fact that he's not fearful when one of the big boys comes to us. And obviously there's going to be times where it can go against you. But there's certainly times like the Man United game, for example, where you, you end up demolishing a big team and not just with a result, but completely dominating him. And yeah, I think that yeah. that belief is, is certainly important to to instill into the squad we've got because you mentioned some of them names I mean even you look at Jack Wilshere he's sat on the bench yeah yeah. what, what a player he is experiences Abeletta who's, who's sat on the bench itching to get on and, and to, to sort of make an impact so it, it's a good squad it's an exciting squad he just needs to, to get uh, one or two results together a bit of momentum and and hopefully put a good run together to push up the table. Yeah, and I think some of those some of those West Ham teams from the past, like the Zola team and uh, the Red, the Harry Redknapp team of the 90s, they were quite often, there was quite a lot of flair on the pitch. You know, with Harry Redknapp, you had uh, um, Sinclair, Michael Hughes, even, even before they signed Hartson and Kitson, you had like uh, Ian Bishop, Michael Hughes, yeah. uh, a lot of, you know, John Moncur, a lot of players with talent and flair that would occasionally just get turned over. And you just had to accept that because they were... Yeah. That's how they played, was trying to score more goals than the other team. So sometimes that, that experiment went wrong. And, uh, you know. It's an exciting way to be, isn't it? I, I think, think it is. You know, I think if you're going to be a mid-table team, you know, it's better to be yeah, one. That... I think we're getting closer and closer to, to breaking that top six. And I, I had a bet that we'd uh, finish above Arsenal with my mate this year. So I was hoping <laughs> this year's going to be the year. But plenty of football to play and... I think Fornells is, is still bedding in and sort yeah. of finding his feet. I think once he, he fully adapts to the Premier League, he's going to be another real exciting addition to the team. So, And the good thing is it, it finally looks like in Haller we've got a good target man who can, can yeah. find the back mm. of the net, which is, he's, he's been a fantastic signing. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes on a real run of, of scoring goals regularly and important goals as well because... Yeah. You see all the post-match interviews and, and speaking to one or two of the lads still, they, they really rate him and what he's bringing to the table. So hopefully it will just, just come together at the right time and we can, we can push on up because we're only three points off sixth place anyway, I think. I think Crystal Palace are there at the moment, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they are. They so, are. so it's not That's a big gap to fill. And as I said, the next three certainly are winnable games and it'd be nice to go on a run and, and play some good stuff. Well... Listen, Jack, we'll probably wrap it up there, but, uh, you know, we haven't even got on to, uh, um, <laughs> we haven't even got on to a lot of this. Your, for a start, your farewell email is something that I think lives in a lot of people's memories. Yeah, I mean, we've got two people. Gordon writes for KUMB. I sort of write for a living. Uh, James writes. And what a piece of writing that was. Didn't you do? Um, didn't you do some kind of journalism course? Yeah, or I've just remembered yeah. that. You did, I was actually going to ask Jack you if do? you still wrote. Yeah, yeah. I done that. I done the first year of my sports writing and broadcasting degree. Right, I, just, uh, I was on my A license at the time and and wasn't able to finish the second year, but. Um, you can probably do it online, is, can't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm going. I am going to try and finish it. I'm just finishing up my pro license at the moment. Right, so right. It's, once that's done, I will look to finish it. But that piece, that piece in particular, started off as writing a couple of words, and four or five hours <laughs> yeah. later, I was still there. And no, it was a lovely piece of writing. You know, yeah, it come it come from the heart. It, yeah, it was, clearly, it, it, it did. Was important yeah. that I, I said how I felt because uh, yeah. certainly the West Ham fans, especially. <laughs> carried me through some very difficult times so um i just wanted to let them know that i appreciated it and, yeah and it was the only way i could sort of get a message out 
I think it is, you know, we had, um, we were talking uh, with Alvin Martin once about, uh, you know, a player that I presume kind of in the 80s sort of never quite bedded in and couldn't, didn't, didn't really do anything that, uh, it was a good player, but the the fans just didn't warm to him and he, and then he lost a bit of confidence and ended up leaving the club, but he was a good player. But, um, you know, that happens, doesn't it? There's a relationship between the, the fans and the players. And I think because you, we sort of heard a bit about Tompkins and Sears and, and Collis, and so we were looking forward to seeing you guys. And uh, because you you came up and not only didn't fuck up, <laughs> you scored a wonder goal sort of against Everton really early. People were just going, "This guy just looks like he knows what he's doing." You know, he looks like he belongs yeah, in you know the first couple of flights, you know, top couple of flights of football. Stanislas had that, I thought. Stanislas just yeah, looked confident. Class, you know, class. he came out in in a struggling West Ham team in that Avram Grant season, and he. Just, you know, looked like he wasn't afraid. You looked, didn't hide, came out, sort of ran around, you know. And it's, that really gets the fans on side, you know. If they, if they, if they like you as a player, if you don't hide, if you look for the ball. Uh, and then all the other stuff that came with it. I mean, obviously, all the stuff with the Millwall game and your dad and all this, you know, all of that stuff came on top of it. And then, you know, the email was like the end of a film. <laughs> it's like, it was, uh, it, you know, it really did sort of cement. a few years. Yeah, yeah. It did cement what everyone thought about you. So it's, a, it's, it's great talking to you, Jack. And, uh, and, and the best of luck with it all. And if you're ever in London, look us up. Yeah, no, I will do. Appreciate you having us on, guys. Anyway. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, Jack. Cheers. Thanks, Jack. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, there he was. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy. Yeah. Nobody, nice guy. nobody ever has a word to say. No, no. Um, it's funny we mentioned the, 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 the farewell email there. And um, it, it's um, explaining to the, uh, the beautiful girlfriend that um, tonight I was doing this and Jack Collison was going to be on. Now, she's not, she, she tolerates football because of me, sort of thing. So she doesn't really know. And, and I, I guess the first thing. You've got I, that poster of him on your bedroom wall, haven't no, you, no, Jack Collison? No, no, not at all. I have oh. any posters in my bedroom wall. Um, well, apart from TV's Victoria Conrad Mitchell, but we won't go into that. Right, right. <laughs> but. Um, um, <laughs> I was explaining to her, though, uh, and it's funny, the things you explain about Jack Collison, uh, things like the email, and I explained Mm, that mm. there was this wonderful farewell letter to the fans, um, which I'll probably dig out a copy and send to her just to explain what I've been on about. But but it's that sort of thing. I mean, you say to people, Jack Collison, say, oh, yeah, lovely guy, lovely guy. And you think, yeah, and he was a damn good footballer. He was one well. of the great lost yeah, players, yeah, I yeah. think. He, yeah. he, he, he deserved better, didn't yeah, he, I think. He, um, he sort of had a little bit of Lampard about him, quite a bit of Aaron Ramsey, not just because they were sort of both Welsh, but uh, he was a good attacking midfielder. Sort of, and, and I think it's been sort of an object lesson in how injuries can decimate a player, not just <sighs> in the sense of like ending his career, but actually just how physically difficult it is to come back from a significant injury. Yeah. Which is why like, I, I look at someone like Lanzini and I think, you've got to give him some mm-hmm. breathing room because that's a very serious injury he's coming back from. You know, you look at Reed and you think, yeah. <laughs> forget, forget yeah. that Winston Reed is on our payroll. Absolutely. It will be incredibly difficult to come back. And even players like Andy Carroll, who we kind of mock and we all joke about, and Kieran Dyer. Yeah. But actually, injuries rob you of so much physically. Yeah, they do, yeah. And I think one of the things, you know, is interesting he was saying, you know, in that, in that kind of second season, you know, getting to that point of, only being able to train and then play the following day and then do mm, nothing else. Mm. You know, as, pl- as fans, we never see that. No, no. Yeah, all we see then is we meet up on a Saturday or whatever before the game, pick the team in the pub, our oh, Collison, because he's yeah, got yeah. to be in because he's a great player. Yeah. And you have no real 
understanding yeah. of actually the physical on, demands on he's him. He's having to train on Friday and play on Saturday, and at that time he's probably about 24. Yeah. Do you know what Incredible I mean? It's like it? his yeah. career's basically on, he's running on fumes, yeah. age 24, and a couple of years later he has to stop. Yeah, and now he's yeah. 31 and can hardly yeah, get yeah, out of bed. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah, the yeah. physical toll on footballers oh, God. is yeah. incredible, and actually we, we often forget it, but yeah. it, it's yeah. actually a, a very meaningful uh, part of any analysis and, you want to carry that's, out. And that's even with mo- that's even with modern surgical. Yeah, I mean because obviously the, the players from the sixties, for example, who had cartilage operations, and yeah. just stand the thing, which just whip the cartilage out, which would give you another year or two playing, and then you couldn't walk once you're thirty. Yeah, then your bones just uh, grind and, together. And, yeah, and, and, uh, and, and, and yeah. obviously nowadays you, you, the sort of thing that 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 wouldn't happen, but you'd have sort of modern keyhole surgery. Yeah, and which just shows just how bad some of those injuries must be if you, if you, yeah well Colin, um, I mean you know Collins was talking about how heartbreaking it was when uh, uh, Ashton just yeah, yeah. sort of in a training game went I don't think this is going to happen yeah. and just you know it's yeah. like tears in his eyes just and, going on and truthfully it's one of the reasons why I've been so critical of the kind of Sullivan era transfer policies they've played absolutely no mind at all to injury history mm. so you know the signing of Wilshere when he's had so many injuries. Yeah. You know, the reason that Wilshire can't get in the team now is, I, I would guess, pretty much because he's not fit enough. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, he would be in this side now if he was fit enough to yeah. play. Yeah. And it's frustrating because of this very point that actually mm-hmm. once players reach a certain stage physically, they've declined to such a degree yeah. that they're pretty much shadows of the players they were. Yeah. Jack, Jack hit on something that um, has, has been a perennial um, problem with the club I think he mentioned earlier on he said he came back too soon yes and yes. that's something that I mean that, 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 that I mean Antonio is, is sort of you, you keep Ashton. hearing yeah you keep <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you keep hearing stuff about Antonio and he's, he's training really really well and I'm thinking well yeah much as we want to see him um, back and doing what he was doing before he got injured this time round um I don't want to. He's injury prone, isn't he? Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's, it's his mm. hamstring again. I don't want to see him yeah. come back until he's really hundred no. percent. And uh, I don't think that's unique to West Ham, though. No, and I was reading. No. I mean, Michael Owen basically said he came back too soon from yeah, his first yeah. hamstring injury and was never the same player. Well, he's someone you know that they do. They do lose something essential to the way they play, and that sort of yes. burst of speed that Michael Owen had went. Yeah, you know, absolutely. and if you don't have a quick Michael Owen. You don't really have a Michael Owen. Correct. And I think if you don't feel right, it doesn't matter whether you're fast or slow or whatever, but if your body doesn't feel right, it's not going to allow you to feel comfortable doing things that you're used to doing. And that kind of Jack alluded Mm -hmm. to that, didn't he, in his second season. Maybe it's got to be, we're obviously all focused on West Ham, perhaps we just notice it more, but it it does seem to be a a thing going back over history where, um, you know, we we do have, we have rush players back in the past. Mm -hmm. And, um, Maybe it's the same at other clubs, but obviously that's not what I'm looking at. No. So we look forward to the uh, yeah, the next game of football we're going to play, <laughs> which is at the weekend yeah. against Newcastle United, isn't no, it? Sheffield, Sheffield United. Sheffield United. Yeah, yeah. And then we've got Newcastle. Newcastle. That's the week after. Week after. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's two homes in a row, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Yes, so, that, so it's Newcastle and then, yeah. It's Sheffield, then Newcastle. Yes. Well, they're going well, aren't they? We, we want, to, game, think, we want yeah. to humiliate the Blades, but yeah, unfortunately they are going quite well. And they're going to, you know... They're going to want to uh, sort of put a spanner in our They're playing as we speak. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. They've, they've adapted very well to yeah, the Premier League. They they're quite tactically, actually. I mean, you, you think of Sheffield United as the sort of Warnock-era agricultural play primarily with mm. your elbows sort of team. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they're a million miles from that now. They're quite actually 
tactically very interesting. They've got overlapping centre backs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, adapted very well. So they're one nil up against the Arsenal with ten minutes left. Good oh, grief! Having scored on half hour, which was that must have just come on because I was watching it on my phone oh, just dear. before we started this. So that must have come mm. just as we started. Oh, that's going to be a hard game. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm. Predictions: two two. Two two. Gordon. Uh, one apiece. One apiece. Get your own time. It kicks off at 2 1. 2 1. I'm going to say we're going to win it 2 1. Um, I think that's probably time, gentlemen. So, uh, uh, my name's Phil Whelans. With me have been Gordon Thrower. Thanks for having me. James Cairns. Thank you. Come on, you irons. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.